0: Slow down in vaccine delivery.
1: Next week is where we'll be most affected.
0: How the province is adjusting its strategy for second doses. Better protection in provincial long-term care homes. So when will visiting rules be relaxed? And a granite business rocked by thieves.
2: The stone was about 18 inches tall by 16 inch wide.
0: The rare stone stolen in a smash and grab.
3: You're watching Global BC.
0: This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. Thanks for joining us. Sophie is off tonight. After three days compiling COVID 19 numbers, there is reason to be hopeful in BC, but not complacent. Our daily case numbers are averaging slightly lower. We've had 1,330 new cases over the last 72 hours, bringing BC's total to 61,447. Tragically, we've lost 31 more people, which means 1,078 have now died from complications of the virus. 343 people are in hospital, 68 of those patients in the ICU. 54,656 are considered recovered, leaving us with 4,326 active cases and 6,865 people in self-isolation. Keith Baldry joins us now with more on the younger people being seriously impacted by the virus. Keith, you had some very interesting numbers yesterday about children and some people in their 30s.
4: Yeah, for the first time ever, it was reported on Friday from the BC Centre for Disease Control that five young people under the age of 20, two of them under the age of 10, were so sick they were placed in the ICU wards around the province. Also, three people in their 30s passed away from COVID. Before that, we had only one person under 40 who had died from COVID-19. Dr. Bonnie Henry was asked about that today, provides a bit of an update. The good news is those kids are out of the ICU.
1: Most of it is related to transmission within households and within small groups. So uh, that is a challenge. I can say that all of the uh, children who were in ICU have now uh, recovered or are no longer in ICU, as far as I understand it. Um, as well, we have had uh, five cases now of MISC.
0: All right, Keith, we are a year from when <laughs> BC was first... Yep you know, made uh, or we were first made aware by the province of of this infection. So a lot of people wondering when will we be able to more freely travel around again? What are they waiting for to make that uh, happen?
4: Yeah, we're not quite there yet. The current public health order remains in place until February 5th. The reason for that represents two incubation periods since the last uh, health order expired on January 5th, so two 14-day periods, when Bonnie Henry says we have to see the numbers, what they do in those two incubation periods before we can get to the point of easing some of the restrictions. Again, a lot is riding on the daily case numbers, our hospitalizations, number of deaths, people in the ICU, all those sorts of things. Good news is we're trending down right now, but she wants to see more progress, I think, before we get to that. Stage. Again, here's Dr. Henry.
1: You know, a lot depends on what happens in the next few weeks. The the extension of the measures that were put in place were designed for two incubation periods. So we need to look at what's happening, look at where we are with our immunization program, look at where we are with our daily case numbers and where we're seeing um, transmission events in our communities. And, you know, right now, of course, it's very concerning in the interior and the north. So we'll be following that carefully um, and looking at what measures make sense.
4: So will the health order be extended on February 5th? No one knows the answer to that yet, but certainly if we see the numbers continue to go up in the north and in the interior, that is positive for concern and likely means the order would be extended, but we're not there yet. All right.
0: We'll see what happens. Thank you very much, Keith. And let's talk about that one new long-term care home outbreak that was reported. One resident and one staff member have tested positive for the virus at Eagle Ridge Manor in Port Moody. Fraser Health says both are currently in self-isolation at their homes. Enhanced control measures have been put in place at the site and steps are being taken to identify anyone else who may have been exposed. Dr. Bonnie Henry says relaxing visitation restrictions at BC's long-term care facilities might have to wait another two months. That's even though the two biggest health authorities in the province announced virtually all residents and staff at their long-term care facilities have received their first shot of the vaccine. Richard Zussman reports.
5: There are pictures from a different time, when Jeanette Harper could hug and hold her mom Marguerite. Now as an essential long-term care visitor, she's allowed to her mom's care home once a week for 30 minutes for a distance visit.
6: With residents and staff being vaccinated, what is the plan? Is family going to be allowed in, or visitors going to be allowed in more often, or... Are we going to still be shut out?
5: Some good news for Harper and other families with loved ones in care. A timeline for when more and less restrictive visits may be allowed.
1: We're looking at uh, into the uh, latter part of March, um, but we are making plans for how we can uh, get people safely together as soon as we can in care homes.
5: Most residents and staff in long-term care have received the first dose of the COVID-19 vaccine, but they haven't yet received the second dose. And the province won't be easing any visitation restrictions until that second dose is doled out.
1: After the second dose, we know that maximal protection is about seven days after dose two. So that's what we're aiming for.
5: In Fraser and Coastal, about 85% of care homes are fully vaccinated, but outside Metro Vancouver, it's substantially lower. The province's seniors advocate says the province is also falling behind on designating essential visitors, with less than a quarter of residents being given one so far.
7: Some family members have literally been separated from their loved ones for over a
5: year. What's
8: Dixie up
5: to? And British Columbia's policy on long-term visits is different than other places in the country.
7: Hi, Grandma. When we came out with our uh, revised visitation at the end of June, we were gonna look at it a month later and we, we have not effectively revised or changed anything. We have the most restrictive policies in the country.
0: It is beyond dispute that a broader view of visits than we've taken right now would have led uh, to uh,
3: more infection and long-term care.
5: But for families like Harper's, the hope is the vaccine and clear provincial policy will ensure another picture cheek-to-cheek can be taken before it's too late. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria.
0: B.C. Emergency Health Services has sent its major incident response team to Williams Lake after a COVID-19 outbreak was declared at Caribou Memorial Hospital. The specialized team flew into town on Saturday and a second replacement crew will arrive tomorrow, remaining in the South Caribou until January 21st. B.C. Emergency Health Services says the rural region is experiencing high levels of patients testing positive for COVID-19. Williams Lake Mayor Walt Cobb says at least 12 nurses and doctors have contracted the virus and there have been several cases reported in First Nations communities. But he says Interior Health has not confirmed the exact number of active cases in circulation and that is causing concern.
9: We set up our, our, our uh, emergency operations center because if we've got that many people in town that have it, There's going to be other support they need there's going to if they have to be isolating and they're alone they're elderly whatever they're going to need food we need we have to find a way of getting that to them and we we're not getting those numbers we don't know where they are and unfortunately it's leaving us in a bind as how we can help our community
0: this is the second time the major incident response team has deployed a specialized paramedic team as part of B.C.'s pandemic response effort, the first was sent to Fort St. James in December. Another shooting in the Lower Mainland, this time a man in his 20s, was shot in an underground parking lot in Langley. Since the end of December, there have been six shootings, all likely targeted and gang-related in Metro Vancouver. Ramina Dea reports.
8: Fighting for his life, the young victim called 911 after he was shot multiple times. The 27-year-old found in an underground parkade in a Langley condo building around 12.30 early Monday morning. He wasn't able to tell us very much
7: before he was uh, taken away in the ambulance and uh, his condition was critical. And at this time he's in surgery so we haven't been able to glean a lot of uh,
8: information as to what actually happened leading up. The victim known to police but the Mounties are not divulging details.
7: We do believe at this point that the shooting is targeted, but uh, we it's too early at this point to actually link it to the lower mainland gang conflict.
8: Several hours after the shooting, another burned out vehicle is discovered. This time in Delta, police investigating whether the two are connected. There have been more than half a dozen shootings and multiple torched vehicles discovered in the lower mainland in less than a month. Five young men shot dead, the youngest just 14 years old. Police say the shootings are gang-related. No charges have been laid. Ramina Dea, Global News.
0: West Vancouver police are looking for the driver of a car involved in a hit and run at about seven o'clock this morning. Police say a 58-year-old man was struck by a white Tesla Model X on Taylor Way near Clyde Avenue. Thankfully, he suffered only minor injuries. The Tesla, which police say has damaged to the driver's side, was last seen heading towards the Lions Gate Bridge. No one got a plate number we're looking for any information from witnesses that would have either had dash cam footage or may have been on foot in the area or or another vehicle on the road around when this happened to try to get further information that would help us identify the driver and find out exactly what happened.
10: So with these new vehicles uh, including Teslas
0: we know there's newer technology on these that often have cameras built in so investigators will be looking at all avenues they could take to try to get as much information as they could Uh, and that may be one of them is trying to figure out if they can get that that information from the camera itself in the vehicle if we locate it. A day after a massive socially distanced display of support for a teen bullying victim, the Mission School District is reviewing its protocols. As Catherine Urquhart reports, the move comes as RCMP investigate another alleged student bullying assault days after the attack on the transgender teen. And a warning, the images in this story are disturbing.
6: It was an absolutely incredible show of support for a teenager who had been severely bullied and assaulted. Thousands participated in a car rally at the Mission Raceway Sunday to stand up for the 13-year-old transgender girl. It's very, and very surprising uh, that
9: so many people love someone that they never met.
6: One week ago, the teen was kicked and punched repeatedly. The attack happened on the grounds of Heritage Park Middle School as classmates recorded the incident, some cheering it on. Two teenage girls have since been arrested and assault charges are being recommended. Now there is more troubling news. Police are investigating a separate incident of a bullying assault, this time at Mission Secondary, It was also recorded and posted online.
11: As a result of that, a uh, 14-year-old was arrested from Heritage Park uh, Middle School and subsequently released on conditions. One charge of assault is going to be recommended to Crown Council in Abbotsford.
6: With two assaults under investigation, the school board issued a statement saying Mission Public Schools takes violent incidents seriously. The board will be reviewing district practices and looking for trends and causes of behaviors. All three teens under investigation have been released from custody. Conditions include they not attend school and they must have no contact with the victims. The two disturbing cases are expected to result in charges in the coming weeks. Catherine Urquhart, Global News.
0: Still ahead, Nova Scotia takes a groundbreaking step to increase organ donations, and many wonder why B.C. isn't jumping on board. How presumed consent could save lives in just over a minute. Countdown to inauguration. The U.S. prepares for the worst and hopes for the best when Joe Biden is sworn in as president on Wednesday. That story coming up later. And photos from the front lines. The artist capturing images of the pandemic with an intimacy few can match. That's later as well. Right now though, today marks a seismic shift in organ donation in Canada, as Nova Scotia becomes the first province to have presumed consent for donation. Linda Aylesworth explains what that means and the chances of a similar law coming to BC.
7: 3,000 lives are saved each year in Canada by transplants, but hundreds more die waiting for organs. Why is that when over 90% of us are in favour of becoming registered donors?
12: It's not something that I think many people consider or at least go to the point of actually um, registering for it.
7: Only about a quarter of those eligible to register actually do, a problem that's led the province of Nova Scotia to do something unique.
3: It's the first province in Canada and the first jurisdiction in North America that will have presumed consent.
7: Presumed consent is kind of like opting out. Unless you register your intentions otherwise, which Nova Scotians can now do online, it's assumed that on your death you wish to be an organ donor.
3: For many, many years, people who support a donation have always looked at having presumed consent as kind of the low-hanging fruit. Why aren't we doing it? In
7: 1979, Spain became one of the first countries to adopt an opt-out system.
12: They really didn't initially see a lot of change, but it was only when they brought in more public education. That seemed to be the main thing that made a difference.
7: Today, Spain has the highest organ donation rate in the world. Many countries have since followed their model.
12: In Nova Scotia, I think they're going to do well because they have brought in not just legislation, but invested a lot of resources to educate people about it.
7: So what about in BC, where we register to opt in? And if you don't register at all, there's no presumption that your organs can be used to save others.
0: We're obviously looking at what's happening in Nova Scotia, but in the meantime, we're continuing to act on the policies that are increasing the number of people who are agreeing to donate in British Columbia.
7: While the BC Transplant Society isn't advocating for it...
12: I certainly can't rule out the potential in the future that this may be something that would be um, adopted, especially if we see something very positive related to that in Nova Scotia.
7: Linda Aylesworth, Global News.
0: Blue Monday today, but hard for anybody to feel blue with that much sunshine out there. It's been a little milder so far, but guess what? The cold is coming. Meteorologist Christy Gordon joins us with what you need to know and why we haven't really seen the cold so far.
2: That's right. So we've been advertising cold air shifting in for next weekend, certainly in through the prairie and eastern sections. Still a little uncertain to the effect across BC. It may just bring us back to near seasonal values. But yeah, a lot of people wondering, why haven't we seen this pool of cold air so far this year? Well, the polar vortex is actually the term for that pool of cold air in through the Arctic, and it's held in place by the polar vortex. The strength of that polar vortex is determined be- by the difference in temperature between the poles and the equator. But what we had in early January was a sudden stratospheric warming. So it actually weakened the polar jet and now has allowed or will allow for that cold air to shift further south. And we're not only going to see that what we term the polar vortex here, but we're likely going to see a split one. So it's cold air shifting into the Eastern European regions as well. And we haven't seen a pattern like this for almost two years, Chris. So when I come back, we'll talk about which parts of our province will likely be the most affected by this pattern.
0: All right, we'll check in a little bit later. Thanks very much, Christy. Still ahead, why UBC might get an F in accounting. The payment scheme wasn't calculated correctly. The administrative error that has these students facing a surprise tuition bill of thousands extra. Also tonight, adorably wishful thinking. A six-year-old melts hearts with her Lego invention to kill the coronavirus.
6: With two lanes southbound over here at the Lions Gate Bridge finally starting to see traffic ease off out of north and west Vancouver. It's been a pretty busy commute over here for both the ironworkers and Lions Gate Bridge. For 47 years, Kermak Collision and Glass has provided unmatched superior customer service and satisfaction with 18 lower mainland locations. There's a Kermac in your neighborhood. Visit Kermak.com. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Lions Gate Bridge.
0: Just weeks into the new year, more than two dozen UBC graduate students are scrambling to pay their tuition after the school made an administrative error that blew their budgets. Grace Key explains why they were given less than a month to pay thousands of dollars until UBC relented and now is helping students survive the sticker shock.
13: UBC students enrolled in the Master of Public Policy and Global Affairs program got a big surprise when they saw their last tuition payment was for $776 instead of the usual $9,500 they had been paying in the last four installments.
5: A few different students had called Enrollment Services to verify that amount, um, and it sounded like, yes, that was the correct amount.
12: UBC actually owed me around $1,300 because of the scholarships that I had less the tuition that I owed.
13: It turned out to be a big miscalculation. Just before the winter semester, students were notified of an administrative error. Not only did they owe the $9,500, but it was due in one week.
12: So yeah, to be told you owe $8,000 and at the time of the initial email, you have to pay us this money in a week, um, yeah, was, was a pretty big shock.
5: However, if we knew this in September or after our last payment... Uh, we could have applied for bursary or for scholarships or um, budgeted differently.
13: A statement from Enrollment Services reads, they caught the mistake, corrected it, and on January 7 notified the 28 students who had been incorrectly assessed. To help students manage, we deferred the payment deadline to February 15 from January 14.
5: We're just frustrated about the the miscalculation um, and the lack of notice. Um, If we were informed prior, um, a few months prior, it would have changed a lot of circumstances for a lot of people.
13: Joshua will be getting the money from his parents. Nicholas has set up a GoFundMe page and may drop some extra classes in hopes of getting a second job to pay off the tuition. Grace Key, Global News.
0: A popular Haida Nation filmmaker is trying to put an end to people falsely claiming to be indigenous. Tamara Bell announced the creation of the Indigenous Identity Wait, Act no, It comes in the come wake the of a lot, scandal involving Canadian filmmaker, and filmmaker Michelle Latimer, who claimed to be of First Nations descent when she's not. Bell says the new act will help stop the practice of what she calls Indigenous identity theft.
8: To force statements from them to validate their position as a non-Indigenous person it is reprehensible in all measures. So I think as Indigenous people, we have to draw a line in the sand and say, if you are not Indigenous, for the sake of Canada and reconciliation, yeah. and if you truly want to have a good relationship with Indigenous people, you have to allow us to maintain our identity and you maintain yours. It is
0: The IIA is supported by Indigenous elders across Canada who recognize the long-term value of validating indigenous identity. Up next, trouble brewing in the U.S. Capitol.
9: If you lose anybody, let us know.
0: How Washington, D.C. is preparing for Wednesday's inauguration with threats of domestic terrorism. And pipeline politics, how B.C. stands to benefit if President-elect Joe Biden cancels the Keystone Project.
6: Good evening. Traffic is steady in both directions over here at the Alex Fraser Bridge, but do keep in mind there are lane closures for maintenance during the overnight hours. Kermac Collision and Auto Glass have been family-run and locally-owned since 1973. For unmatched quality repairs and exceptional service, choose Kermac. For location information, visit kermac.com. I'm Trish Ewison in Global One at the Alex Fraser Bridge.
0: Transport Canada is green lighting the return of the Boeing MAX aircraft to Canadian airspace. Carriers will be able to begin using the plane starting on Wednesday as long as several required modifications are made. Transport Canada says it's introduced unique Canadian measures for enhanced safety of the aircraft. That includes allowing pilots to disable a faulty warning system that was found to be central in recent crashes overseas. The Boeing 737 MAX was grounded. In March 2019, after two deadly crashes in Ethiopia and Indonesia, 346 people were killed during those incidents. A false alarm sent people scrambling in Washington, D.C. Today, more evidence of just how on edge the American capital is as the inauguration of Joe Biden approaches. And new video shows at least part of the attack on the Capitol building was nothing less than a hunt down for two of America's most powerful leaders.
14: Less than 48 hours until the inauguration, Washington is even more of a fortress city tonight. More soldiers, more out-of-state police officers, as police and the FBI continue to warn that right-wing extremists are plotting more attacks. It was during today's inauguration rehearsal, just after 10 a.m., that the alerts suddenly blared.
4: 2-2 in external security.
14: A threat outside the Capitol. Make sure you know who's around you. If you lose anybody, let us know. Hundreds of people running for cover. This really underscores how skittish everybody is. With that alert, everybody on the west steps of the Capitol came rushing inside. In this case, sheltering in the crypt. Several minutes later, the all clear. Nothing more than a fire underneath a nearby bridge. This is our nation, not theirs. Meanwhile, video shot by a reporter for The New Yorker magazine on the day of the attack shows a mob intent on tracking down Speaker Pelosi and Vice President Pence. Rifling through Senators' desks, convinced President Trump and Senator Ted Cruz would approve. Cruz, I think
15: Cruz would want us to do this, so yeah, I
14: think we're good. Tonight, at least 139 had been arrested by the FBI and D.C. police. At least 330 open FBI cases. Many of the FBI's tips have come from Facebook and Instagram friends. Among those charged, Riley June Williams of Pennsylvania, seen here carrying something inside a zebra print bag. The FBI says she intended to send a computer stolen from Speaker Pelosi's office to Russian intelligence. Robert Geiswine of Colorado, an alleged right-wing militia member facing multiple charges, including assaulting police. John Ryan Schaffer of Indiana, a heavy metal rocker accused of spraying police with a bear spray. A top concern tonight, the number of police officers and military, past and present, who were part of the mob that attacked the Capitol.
0: The campaign promise made by President-elect Joe Biden to cancel the Keystone XL pipeline is not going over very well in Alberta. The move will likely take a toll on that province's economy. And Ted Chernecki explains why it could have the opposite effect
3: here. Though Ottawa continues to try to convince the incoming Biden administration that the Keystone project Obama rejected is different than the one today, it appears... This pipeline is dead,
6: and we're glad to see that the we have a leader on the continent who is really keen to um, actually listen to scientists, listen to the indigenous leaders, and listen to their own people for the fact that climate change is a major issue and so are human rights, and we need to put that first.
3: Alberta already has seven and a half billion dollars tied up in Keystone, with pipe in the ground going nowhere.
14: This uh, is, I believe, without precedent uh, for uh, an American administration retroactively uh, to seek to cancel a piece of infrastructure, this border crossing, that, that already
3: exists. The twinning of the Trans Mountain pipeline from Alberta to Burnaby has been the focus of many a protest. Indeed there was another arrest on Saturday. Environmentalists hope to continue their fight to convince Ottawa that this is money not well spent. They're going to become stranded assets and they're not the way of the future where we
0: have a really excellent opportunity to embrace a low carbon economy. It's not something to be
3: afraid of. It's something to welcome. So I hope this is a signal of more good things to come. But on the other side, especially from Ottawa's view, Trans Mountain's value just went up. It is bad news perhaps for Alberta, but for the federal government it means the Trans
4: Mountain project uh, will benefit because uh, it will ensure that capacity on this pipeline will be fully utilized. And when the time comes for this project to be sold off back to the private
3: sector, they can do so at a profit and not at a loss. And while Alberta wanted to greatly increase export capacity, if Trans Mountain is built, it'll meet current needs.
4: Uh, Alberta is still going to see uh, an expansion in capacity from the Trans Mountain pipeline, which is about 500,000, 600,000 barrels uh, a day. And uh, that, in addition to line three that has been revamped, gives them enough capacity for some time to come.
3: But this could be the last pipeline for a long while. Energy economists recognize a revolution is taking place and it'll get increasingly difficult, if not impossible, to get the long-term, widespread public support needed for any company to invest billions of dollars in infrastructure. Ted Czernetti, Global News.
4: In
0: health matters tonight, the pandemic has showcased healthcare heroes and the risks they take to care for those suffering from COVID-19. But now there's a much more intimate and revealing look at the life and death situations they face all the time at work. Global's Jill Croto explains why one photographer has been given access that not many people have. <laughs>
15: There's a discomfort photographers have to skillfully unravel. Most people don't love being in front of the lens. But because of the relationship Heather Patterson has with those whose images she's capturing, those vulnerabilities become almost invisible.
16: We trust her. We trust her with our emotions. We trust her being present in those really intimate, personal, difficult times.
15: Kathy Dorrington is one of the emergency room physicians profiled in the photographic project. A visual diary of the humility and heroism of those on the front line in a way they've never experienced.
16: You are looking at the people around you. You're mostly focused on the patient in front of you. You're aware of your team that's at the bedside but you really don't have a sense of yourself in that moment. And so it is a very unique and a bit strange experience.
15: The images reflect unprecedented access behind the doors of the ER. That's because this is more than just a pursuit, it's personal.
16: There's two people in a photograph, the photographer and the viewer. And I thought, oh, isn't that so true? And so if I can tell a story through my eyes, maybe it's different because I'm part of the team. Patterson is a doctor, trading her scrubs
15: for the next few months to answer this calling.
16: It's always hard to step away from the things that you're passionate about. I'm looking to capture humanity and the quiet moments within the chaos of what can happen in the hospital. It allows me to step back and appreciate those things without yearning to be in the thick of things.
15: She wants to give a voice and visibility to the colleagues she truly wants to be seen.
16: I wanted to offer my team in the emergency department the opportunity to see what I see. So to look through my lens and see the compassionate care that they provide.
15: And she hopes those raw, real moments will be published in a book or showcased in a gallery. Her work inside the ER will always be there waiting for her. Jill Croteau, Global News.
0: A Fraser Health COVID response nurse is sharing a heartwarming video of her six-year-old daughter, Leba. She's created a Lego invention that she says will kill the virus. And she wants Dr. Bonnie Henry to see it so her mom will be able to spend more time at home.
9: All you need to do is capture the COVID inside of this box, mm-hmm. close it, and in one minute and 16 seconds it will be gone.
6: You'll be gone. It
9: has an invisible laser oh, okay. that kills anything that is inside it. You have to be vaccinated in order to capture the COVID inside of the box.
0: How cute is she? Keep working on it. Still to come, rumors of a Sasquatch sighting in southeastern B.C. Your ideal thing of what you always want
11: to hear about a Sasquatch report.
0: What an examination of the footprints actually reveals. And the big stones stolen by thieves in that smash and grab coming up. Unusual, Animal Rescue has BC Conservation asking people to be mindful of wildlife. Officers were called to a property in the village of Yubu on the northeast side of Cowichan Lake on Vancouver Island to rescue an elk that was caught up in a private zip line. Officers safely sedated and freed the animal. They are reminding people to maintain their properties and their recreational toys to prevent this kind of problem. Glad it got the help it needed. All right, back to Christy. Mm -hmm. Beautiful day of sunshine. Cold weather on the way.
2: That's right. And as you mentioned earlier, today is officially Blue Monday, third uh, Monday in January. And didn't feel that blue, but we had a ton of blue sky. Uh, so temperatures were a good 2 to 4 degrees above seasonal. Uh, so incredible. And look at Asois, nine or 10 degrees, so uh, double digits there. And as you mentioned, yes, that cold air still expected to shift in late in the week, so likely into the weekend. And we'll show you what that means for our region. So for our region, we'll likely drop below seasonal, so normal is about 6 6 degrees as our daytime high, So we're talking about highs of 3 or 4 degrees and then overnight lows below freezing, around minus 1. But for some of the interior regions, it may likely just bring them back to near seasonal values where they've been pretty high in terms of those daytime highs and then they'll bring them back to, uh, as I mentioned, those seasonal values. So then they will likely see snowfall in those regions. In the meantime, mild conditions this week and not much going on. So this front is going to shift in. This is tomorrow morning. We are going to see more clouds, so not the blue sky we saw today. But as this front shifts further south, it's really going to weaken. So we do have a chance of showers late in the afternoon towards the evening hours for our region. But then it shifts out in time for our Wednesday and we're back to a little bit of cloud cover, but mainly dry conditions. Now, in these areas here, the blue sky is in the afternoon, that front shifting further south in the afternoon hours, bringing flurries into these regions here. And for our region, the showers pushing in later in the day tomorrow. So the day looks mostly dry until the late afternoon hours. And as I mentioned, the week's not looking too bad at all look at this mostly dry right through until late saturday and so if you're wondering when could we get snow if we do it looks like sunday could be the day so keep tuning back in and we'll keep you up to date this is canoe pass village looking out uh towards the Golden Ear mountains a great shot though jack mcdonald sending us that one
0: beautiful okay thanks very much christy a fraser valley business is hoping someone will help recover a cherished rock that has been a fixture of its showroom for more than a decade. The owners of the Swinstones Granite Shop in Chilliwack say someone broke their front window on Saturday night by throwing a big chunk of metal through it and stole a large amethyst rock that had been on display there for nearly 12 years. They've contacted the RCMP and taken to social media to get the word out, hoping someone has
2: seen it. It was just super special to us because it is a very unique rock to have. Um, so we just, it was very really special to us. We were horrified because it was something that we highly coveted and we're pretty proud of to have. It's not something that you can, that everybody has. And it was quite valuable to us. And um, we're really sad to see it go.
0: She says a nearby business has security video showing the theft. And with all of the social media exposure they've received, she's hoping they'll get the stone back. She says it was worth between four and six hundred dollars, but had far greater sentimental value to them. Let's hope it finds its way back to them. All right. uh, Squire is here now with a look ahead to uh, sports. Big weekend for British Columbian athletes. Yes. Who steals a rock?
9: It's happened a couple of times now. A geologist who's breaking bad? Like, what is it? I don't understand. (laughs) That's a theory. It is a theory. (laughs) I should should tip the cops off on that. Uh, Summerland's Justin Cripp had a uh, big weekend in his bobsled at San Moritz.
12: Super happy to to get
9: a double bronze and and have some success over the last couple years there. Two podium finishes in both the two- and four-man races. Also coming up, the mysterious
0: sighting in Silverton. What was that creature spotted in the West Kootenai? All right, Canucks in action tonight. Good to have a full roster. Here's Squire.
9: Yep. uh, After three games in COVID quarantine, it's JT Miller getting a chance to play his first game of the season for the Canucks. They are in Calgary again, just like they were on Saturday when Jacob Markstrom shut them out. Uh, Without Miller... The Canucks' power play has not scored yet this season, so let's see if he can make a difference there. Miller. And He's there he off. is for pregame game warm Here's the Canucks' power Tannen. play. The chance, so, is Adam Gaudet. And who stops him? His old friend Jacob Markstrom sliding across. The puck had been a little bit higher. It might have gone in, but Markstrom makes a save. The only goal, Jake Vertanen just shoots it at the net. It goes in, actually, off Yusuf Alamaki. Jake with his first but that counts for the Canucks, 1-0 after one period. Okay, earlier today, Columbus in Detroit. Jonas Koprasalo, nice save here off Bertuzzi. And then with the score, 1-1. This is the goal that made it 2-1. You see 2-1 there, but this is the replay of Alexander Texier's goal. And then speed for Pierre-Luc Dubois, who'd like to be traded out of Columbus. He's going by Troy Stetcher there. That proved to be the winner. 3-2 Columbus over Detroit. All right, Justin Cripps of Summerland and his boys had a big weekend in San Moritz. A double bronze weekend, both in the two-man and the four-man bobsled.
10: We'll see.
16: It looks like he might be able to pull this off,
3: Mark. Now he's hitting the gas. Here's Cripps at the finish. Yes, he'll move in front by five 100s. Oh, what a comeback down that straight.
12: Yeah, it was awesome. You know, we, we always have a really good time racing over there and, uh, of course, been super happy to to get a double bronze and, and have some success over the last couple of years there.
10: Return
5: of action a week ago.
10: There's no time like the present for Justin Cripps and his Team Canada bobsleigh teammates. Cripps making history in Samarit, Switzerland this weekend, becoming just the third Canadian sled in 80 years to medal in both the two-man and four-man races. Quite the impressive showing, considering they've missed three-quarters of the two-man World Cup season, electing to stay home and train in Whistler, while other teams continue to race in Europe during the pandemic.
12: It's a weird schedule. There's 12 two-man races and only four four-man races, so... You know, for us, the two-man is almost a bit of a wash because we've missed eight races already. Um, So, you know, we're really focusing on the four-man and doing as well as we can in the two-man also. But, yeah, I mean, it's just, like you say, a sprint. And we're really hoping that things would uh, come together really crisp for us, Um, having been a team for a few years now. And that's the way it has been. So it's just, it's bang, bang, bang until world champs. Um, We're only over here for another month and then back home.
10: Cripp's performance in Switzerland is even more impressive when you understand the nuances of piloting a sled on the ever-changing Samaritz track. It's the only non-refrigerated circuit in the entire world. The all-natural ice racing surface changes year in and year out. So whatever a pilot and his teammates learned in previous races over the years is basically melted away come summertime. The track's a
12: little bit different every year. Um, The major corners are the same, they're permanent, but all the small corners are rebuilt every year. So they're just kind of slightly different. A lot of like little changes you have to make. You can't just go with your old program from the year before. It's very exposed to the elements. So um, depending on if it's early morning and you're first off in the draw or there's a bit of snow or the ice is kind of pebbly. It can be very, very different. So you have to adjust your driving on the fly quite a bit there. We were just hoping to build some kind of momentum, however that may be, fast starts, top speeds, whatever, and, you know, to come out and actually be getting medals right off the bat, it, it's huge for us. I can't wait to see what we do next year.
9: Wherever he was, they need new curtains. <laughs> they would lose at Rate My Room. Uh, We may not know until later in the week if uh, Kansas City quarterback Patrick Mahomes can play in the AFC Championship game against Buffalo. He is in concussion protocol right now, and to get out of that, he has to prove to doctors, not just team doctors, but NFL doctors, that he is completely healed. Here's the play where he got hurt yesterday against Cleveland, left the game rather dizzy. The Chiefs are actually not saying if he even has a concussion or not, but it doesn't matter if he has one or not. He's still in protocol. Uh, That is designed so you are better safe than sorry. American Magic. Now this is a part of the races to get into the America's Cup Final. Racing against the Italian boat yesterday and they were leading when a big gust of wind sent this boat on its side. Needless to say they didn't get up and win the race but They did eventually get the boat upright again. Everybody was okay, but what you don't see there is there was a hole in the hull. That thing was in danger of sinking, so they had to get uh, the pumps out quickly and also airbags to keep it up. But it is up, it is fixed apparently, and they will be racing with it again. So I am told that was down in New Zealand.
0: Not your grandpa's sailboat. Hey, it looks more like a spaceship. Here's Andrew and now the preview of Global News at 11, Anne.
15: Thanks, Chris. More tonight on a COVID-19 rapid response team being deployed to a small interior B.C. town. At least a dozen medical staff at the Williams Lake Hospital have tested positive since an outbreak was declared there on January 13th. There's also been a sharp spike in cases in surrounding communities. The mayor of Williams Lake now raising concerns about a lack of information from health authorities. That story and more when you join us tonight at 11 o'clock. Chris
0: all right Anne, thanks very much when we come back sorry i feel like giggling because it's a story about s- sasquatch and the okanagan experts who are going to investigate it's true it's all it's all true Well, just like the ogopogo any sighting of a mysterious creature that reportedly lives in our forests is generating renewed interest in the so-called bigfoot or sasquatch and as global sydney morton explains it's prompting an okanagan team to go and investigate the lake here at Coldstream, there's a
11: hill that you'll see on the right hand side and uh, there were footprints found there.
16: Eight foot tall forest dwelling creatures have been whispered about through the Pacific Northwest since the first so-called Sasquatch footprint was discovered in 1811. It has spawned a following of mystery seekers and dozens of reported sightings in the US and Canada. In
11: that particular area, uh five witnesses uh, encountering one.
16: The latest sighting was in Silverton on the east shore of Slocan Lake in BC's West Kootenay region. When the call came in, Leon Thompson of Bigfoot Okanagan and his team went up to investigate.
11: So the report seemed quite kind of your ideal thing of what you always want to hear about a Sasquatch report, especially with having evidence like that.
16: Thompson and his team wade through the information online and try to come close to accurately identifying what in fact is a Sasquatch track and what is a hoax or an animal.
11: We're an education channel that tries to use scientific approach to investigate something that nobody really knows what they're talking about.
10: <laughs> it looks to me like it is a hoof.
16: Turns out the tracks were not, in fact, left by the legendary Bigfoot, but by a much less rare and exciting moose on Christmas Day. Uh,
11: in the Bigfoot world, if you see a, what's called a uh, walking line, then there's a trackway that's tightrope, meaning right in front of itself. That's supposed to be how Sasquatch walks.
16: The debunked tracks haven't thrown Thompson and his team off the Sasquatch trail.
11: Something out there. We know there's something out there. and There's a way of identifying tracks and knowing they're actually tracks from something that's alive that are Sasquatch tracks compared to people
9: who try to hoax them.
16: Sydney Morton, Global News.
2: No I Sasquatch. would
9: love to believe on it. I would love to it believe
0: be it. It would if, be
2: neat if there was something like that. It mm-hmm.
0: would be neat. I'm not a holding my breath until we get evidence <laughs> of a giant
9: man like Harry. And if there is an 8 foot creature in the forest, NBA scouts <laughs> will be looking for that guy. They'd find him before anybody else. Let's hope he can I- dunk.
2: I tried to explain the concept to my youngest the other day. He yeah. was like, he could not grasp it. You mean there isn't one?
3: <laughs>
2: well, <laughs> no, it doesn't exist. Why not?
0: There was a there was an Olympic uh, one of the, one of those little plushies. That's right. And that's about as real as it gets around here. Last word on weather before you go.
2: All right, a pretty nice week, that's for sure. Late tomorrow, we do have a few showers in the forecast, but overall, enjoy the weather this week because winter-like weather is likely going to push in this weekend.
0: All right, thanks, Christy, and thanks for watching. Have a good night, everyone.